Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object is Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 320 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time of recording is 10.48am on November 20th, 2022. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Amy Smith. Hi everyone. And Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Hello ladies. So for this week's show, we are going to be going over who won at last week's Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. We also have the nominations for the Film Independent Spirit Awards this week, so we'll be having a discussion about which films we think will pop up there during the nominations. We're also going to touch upon some other news, talk about some trailers, go over the polls, answer fan questions, you know, the usual. But first and foremost, to get started here, what has everyone been watching this week? And we will start off with Lauren LaMagna. This has actually been a busy week, as opposed to the last time I was here where I was basically just swamped in school. I'm still swamped in university stuff, but I was kind of letting that slide this week. Uh, First thing that I watched um, was Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I caught that this week, and it was good. There was a lot of movie in it, which kind of was interesting. I think Ryan Coogler had a lot to handle, which was not really... His say, it was just due to circumstances that happened, as we all know. But I think due to what he was given, he kind of performed. And it's kind of one of the most impossible movies Marvel had. So I overall enjoyed it. I do recommend it. But I do think there's a lot happening, which kind of does detract it from it being as good as the first film was, I would say. And then I caught The Wonder on Netflix, which was so good. Um, Sebastian Lalo does not do wrong. He's like 
three for three out of all the films that I've seen him do for me right now. Um, Florence Pugh, as we know, is so good at what she does. And this is probably one of my favorite roles that she's done. But I got to give it to the rest of the cast, especially um, this young newcomer, Keela Lord Cassidy, who plays, you know, the young girl that's refusing to eat. And Florence Pugh's character is here to just investigate it. And I think it's so good. I think it's a great script. I think the mood is so good. It's like this gothic thriller set in, you know, 19th century Ireland and I think Ireland is just winning this year all around, and this is just another reason that it is. <laughs> and yeah, it's like all around great. If you have Netflix, which most of you do, you should all check it out. Um, then I caught um, Disenchanted last night. I was babysitting. And guys, you guys are just being mean. I think it's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> and- you know, if you see it through the lens of the, you know, those straight to video Disney animated sequels from like the late 90s, early 2000s, it's not as good as Lion King 2, but it's kind of in the realm of The Return of Jafar or Beauty and the Beast, Belle's Magical World or something like that. That's where it exists. And it's fine like that. Okay. All right. I think you're being too nice then. No, Amy Adams is having fun. As long as she's having a good time, it's fine. I mean, do I think Steven Schwartz is kind of plagiarizing himself in Disney? Yeah. Do I think it's needed? Not really. Do I think the desired target audience, which are little people ages 4 to 13, I think they're going to be entertained. I would recommend it to those people. So I think it's fine. I think it's fun and it's going to do absolutely no harm. All I'll say is that the title lived up to its name for me. You're being mean. Um, <laughs> and then finally, um, I saw Women Talking this weekend. Yes. Guys, I, this was one of the films I was afraid that I was being overhyped on, but it is literally one of the best films of this year. I think it's the strongest ensemble yeah. of the year. I think it's the best screenplay I have. The score is fantastic. I don't I don't see a wink link at all. It's to the point it's not too long it's not too short it is absolutely perfect one of the most fantastic films one of the most important films of the year and as soon as you guys can see it please see it so i'm taking it that you didn't have any issue with the color grading no i liked it okay cool i think it makes sense with what's happening and you know where it takes place and the mood of the film i think everything works i think that's the most important thing is that like people who have passed judgment based on this trailer i would urge everyone to see the movie and Tell me if you feel differently when it's over. Thematically, it makes perfect sense. I, I, yeah, completely agreed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, every like five stars, like the whole meme of like, yeah, I'm thinking five for Keanu Reeves. Like, that's what I feel like <laughs> with women talking and you will not be overhyped for it, which happens from time to time with films, especially during this season. But please go see it. And I got to ask, too, because the ensemble really is incredible. Like you said before, who is your yeah. MVP? I don't know. See, that's what's hard about this film is that it's such an ensemble. I feel I know they're campaigning Rooney Mara and leading just as a sacrifice, but it feels it feels wrong to put someone in the lead, if that makes sense. Oh, I completely so, agree. I see it also like this has really good potential to be a stage play. It has that environment and that screenplay like that. Um I mean, the obvious ones is, you know, Claire Foy has, I think, really good moments. I think Jesse Buckley's character has the most powerful and biggest story. I also think the little girls in there are really great, too. 
it's so hard to pick an MVP because they all work together so, so well. Yeah, and then you have Ben Wishaw, the one guy of yeah. the group, and he's <laughs> fantastic in it too. Mm-hmm. There's literally no weak link out of everyone in this film. It's crazy good. I haven't seen an ensemble this strong in a very long time. It's definitely my favorite ensemble this year. Um, don't make me pick a favorite. I don't know. I don't know how. It's like <laughs> they all need each other and they all work towards each other. And it's it's again, it's hard to single one out. Which that's I see why we're gonna have to do that, but I don't want to. It seems wrong if that makes sense well if everyone takes your position on that lauren then none of them are going to get nominated so we got to be careful (laughs) but you know again if we're going to go with like ireland is just winning this year i guess jesse buckley's got that luck on her side hey you know what she got nominated last year Mm -hmm. uh she could get a follow-up nomination but i think claire foy should have been nominated already for first man so i would very much like to see her get in Uh, i'm leaning towards both of them right now at this current time getting in there's again supporting actress is such a weird category right now that oh it's the most competitive category out there still a world where they both do and i think by the end of the season they're both going to get nominations somewhere yeah amy we're up to you yeah this week has been a pretty weird week for me so i just come back from re-watching black panther wakanda forever i definitely felt the pacing issues even more this time it is I could do without anything with the Everett Ross storyline. Oh, it's terrible. It's so forced in what is a really beautiful story about grief and family and especially elevating these black women's voices. And it's still probably my favorite film from Marvel for Phase 4, but I also don't think that was an incredibly high bar to beat. Yeah. But... I do I do think I'm going to keep going back to specific scenes, particularly the final moments. And I still think that mid-credit is probably the best mid-credit that Marvel's ever done. I think it's so beautifully handled. So I'm glad I have rewatched it. And then yesterday, I also watched Disenchanted, and I'm sorry, I hated it. I absolutely, I, I had to pause it halfway through because I just couldn't handle... I was so heartbroken this entire time. I've been screaming at Disney for putting it straight onto Disney Plus and not cinemas. And I'm just sat there like, yeah, I know why you did that now. You bring back these amazing actors who look like we're having so much fun and want to be part of the series. And the screenplay we're giving is so bad. Like, I love the songs from the first movie. I could not hum a single song from this one. And it's been a day. How do you mess up this badly? Even when they do the animated sequences, it feels so much cheaper. And it just looks so much worse, despite it's obviously been like, what, 15 years at least since the difference between the films. I just, I don't know how you mess up this bad. I'm sorry, I'm not even going to defend it as being a kid's film because we did not need this sequel at all. And I was very disappointed um other than that i end up taking this week to finally rewatch top gun maverick at home for the first time so this is my fifth time seeing the film and of course the big screen elevates the material but this is still such a su- such a fun film to watch at home and it really solidified to me that this is my favorite film of the year um i was surprised to see academy screenings pop up where apparently half the audience hadn't seen the film before i don't know how that happened but 
fingers crossed that it does well on Oscar nomination morning because I would just love to see this film represented. Okay, uh, I have a very uh, short week here to report on. Uh, first up, I watched The Quiet Girl, finally. And I'm sad to report it wasn't for me. It was a little too quiet. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. I do get that. I thought it was good. You know, I thought it was well done, well acted. I, I understood. It just wasn't my type of film. That's all. For me, it was the like final five moments, like five minutes, especially the final shot that really got to me. Yeah, no, and that is the high point. I, I totally recognize that. And I just, it, it, I, I was never fully gripped by this story. So just like, it was kind of a slog to get there. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, then I also watched uh, Stutz, which is Jonah Hill's uh, documentary on uh, Netflix about his therapist. And I don't think that there is anything like awards worthy or anything like that about this, but I did find it to be very insightful and vulnerable on Jonah Hill's part too, to uh, really just dive deeper into some struggles that he's been dealing with. And then in turn, hoping that some of the tools that his therapist has given him over the last couple of years to deal with that, uh, he can then give those back to the world. So it's really well-intentioned. And I, I very much enjoyed that there was kind of like this peeling back of the curtain aspect to it. They confessed that they've been shooting this for like two years. And the original concept was they were going to just film like a single session uh, and it's kind of like evolved and Jonah Hill did not know anymore, like what the documentary was supposed to be. So there is like this vulnerability in him as a filmmaker of like not really knowing how this movie is going to all come together while also, like I said, diving into some more personal issues as well. So I, I thought it was quite good. Um, maybe not as great as something like Senior, uh, which is coming to Netflix a little bit later this year that also does peel back the curtain in terms of the making of a documentary and the formulating of it over the course of the shoot, but still really good stuff there. Um, and then, okay, the one that I'm sure everybody wants to hear me uh, talk a little bit about, although I can't go into so much territory with it because we are still under review embargo, is Damien Chazelle's Babylon. So... <laughs> Uh, this is a lot of movie, people. This is a lot of movie. It's over three hours long. It's like going uh, to a restaurant and being served lavish meal. There's so many uh, courses and not everything is going to be to your liking. But by the end of it, you're going to be full. Now, whether you're full to the point of pleasure or full to the point of exhaustion and Feeling bloated uh, is another question entirely, but I guarantee you, you will get a lot out of this uh, for good or for worse. Editing, production design, costume design, makeup, the score, Justin Hurwitz's work here, pretty incredible. And the performances too. There's a lot to appreciate here. Uh, and that's kind of all I'm going to really get into at this current time, unless if you, any of you have any specific questions that are on your mind about it. I'm trying to enter this film as blind as I can. Like, I'm not listening to this score. I'm not reading any reviews. I already know I am going, and I already know that I'm so excited because Damien Chazelle, for me, is one of the, kind of one of the most exciting filmmakers. And I kind of love the discourse that people are 
either loving or hating this film because to me that creates the best discussions I always hate when a film is just universally loved or universally hated and having to have these sort of discussions so I'm I'm so excited yeah I mean like one of my favorite podcast reviews that we did this year was for Blonde uh, exactly for that reason in terms of just the passionate reactions that it got out of people I mean you know movies where everybody agrees on everything is you know fine sometimes but I, I, I agree with you, Amy. It's more fun when you do get reactions that are kind of all over the place. And that's what Babylon is definitely uh, showing us right now with some of these initial reactions from the screenings in New York and L.A. Uh, the only other thing I'll say, like in terms of Oscar prospects, because I know that people wanted to hear my thoughts on that. I did reflect this in my predictions. I did update after I saw the movie. I still think it is robust enough to get into picture but there were a couple of categories where I did drop it out. So Chazelle, you know, I, I really think of this movie a lot like The Wolf of Wall Street and how Wall Street also was very off-putting. It was three hours long. It was abrasive. It was vulgar. And it has these set pieces, kind of like the Quaalude scene in Wolf of Wall Street. There are these set pieces in Babylon that are going to stick out and be extremely memorable for some people. But I don't know if Chazelle commands uh, the same amount of respect as Scorsese does to make it into the five for director. So I dropped him. Um, I dropped the film in editing because, you know, one of the big complaints, I'm sure, is going to be the runtime. And I dropped it in a couple other categories here or there. I still have Margot getting in now. Uh, they might be off put by the character, though, at the same time. It is a very competitive field for actress at the moment, so it could go either way. I currently have her at number five at this time. And right now I have Margot as the lone acting nominee uh, for the movie. I'm also a little skeptical about the screenplay, too. So, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm going back and forth on, but considering it is a late December release, it's big, it's flashy, it's going to definitely stand out in people's minds. It is also a movie about Hollywood at the end of the day. So could it rise above some divisive reactions and still manage to get these nominations and, you know, maybe get overall, say, nine or ten Oscar nominations? It could but I, I'm, I'm waning a little bit on it and I'm like going back and forth. I, I I need to see some hints in the precursors to affirm how I feel about it. Otherwise, I think I'm going to probably land somewhere around it getting like six nominations, predominantly crafts, but with Margot and Picture uh, being the two above the lines. That's probably where I'm leaning today. Yeah, Chazelle's not really my director. I wasn't a fan of La La Land. First Man, I wasn't really either. So I'm interested to see if the guy will finally connect with me. I haven't seen Whiplash yet. I know I have to. That's a blind spot for <gasps> Lauren. me. I know it's a blind spot for me. You know, once maybe like for Thanksgiving over the long weekend, I'll catch up on it. But it's a blind spot. I get it. But um, the guy's. Yeah, he's. Oh, he's he hasn't struck with me yet. So I'm interested, interested to see if this finally will. But I'm also what you said about like dropping the film down in a lot of nominations. This is the year of blockbusters, especially with the you no know, best picture. So I wonder how this will do, or if there's room for this film. We also haven't seen avatar yet. So like, who knows about that guy, but there are a lot of these big flashy blockbuster type films that are making it this year. So I wonder how this will do in comparison to everyone else. 
And also, too, so many films that are two and a half, three hours long this year as well. Yeah. And that's something that I do appreciate about Babylon. And almost every movie that has a long runtime this year, even when I've come forward and said, this movie did not need two and a half hours to tell its story. This movie did not need to be three hours long. There's still a part of me deep down that admires that these types of films are still being allowed to get made. And for all we know, this might be the last hoorah for these auteur filmmakers to make these kinds of films with these runtimes for before the industry just completely changes and forces them out entirely. So I'm kind of all for it. And, you know, my last note I'll leave on Babylon is that while it's not going to be for everyone it was definitely more my kind of movie. And if you know anything about my taste, then you could probably infer a little bit more on that. But that's that's all I'll leave it at for now. I, I think mileage is going to vary, and especially considering it's dealing with a uh, era in classic Hollywood, you know, the silent film era before talkies were even a thing. Historians are going to come uh, to it with their own perspective and it's it's going to create a lot of noise. I think there's going to be a lot of discourse uh, when it releases in December. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Okie dokie. Let's move over next to some award season talk here. First things first, we've got the winner uh, from the Critics' Choice Documentary Film Awards, and the overwhelming winner was Goodnight Oppie, which was considered to be a bit of a surprise. Uh, I know some people uh, thought it was going to win maybe two awards or something like that, but the documentary ended up winning... Five in total uh, when the evening was all said and done, including Best Director, Best Documentary Feature. So how are you all feeling about Goodnight Oppie right now as a nominee potentially for Best Documentary Feature, given it's showing here? Or do you think that it is the early frontrunner and is that kind of like populist pick that gets snubbed by the documentary branch when the nominations are announced? I think it's still so early to tell because one thing I've noticed of all the nominees, like all the nominations that have come up for a documentary feature is that nobody can agree on a consensus. Like like one of the big five sort of, it's like Fire of Love, Navalny, um, Moon Age Daydream, all of these films seem to be missing at one of these awards shows. So for example, this one, we had All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which won Venice didn't make documentary feature even like nomination list so I think we still gotta wait and see for maybe a couple more winners to be announced to sort of agree on a consensus as to who's going to make it and who might just be the populist pick 
Well, I think we definitely should consider this definitely getting nominated. I think it's a front runner. I we're all comparing this to um, my octopus teacher from last year, where it's just starting to sweep and sweep and sweep. But that sweep came on a little bit later. Later, yeah. Early on in the season, Dick Johnson is dead, and Time were considered like the two front runners. And then when we got to the guilds, uh, my octopus teacher became the the go to film for the industry. But also, too, something to keep in mind about about, about my octopus teacher is that. That was the pandemic year, and you had lower voter turnout. People also wanted to vote for stuff that was making them feel good. And that movie just struck a chord with people uh, during that time. And then last year, Summer of Soul was the front runner early on, and it just stayed as the front runner. Flea put up some competition, but not enough. And right now, yes, Goodnight Oppie has won pretty big at this particular group. But let's also keep in mind that All the Beauty and the Bloodshed uh, did win the Golden Lion Award at Venice. Even though it wasn't nominated at CCA, I think Neon is going to put a lot of force behind that uh, project over the next couple of weeks. And then Fire of Love, I think Fire of Love does have enough passion. It, it placed in second at the uh, Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, which, by the way, I hated that they announced uh, who the runners-up were to Goodnight Oppie. That was a first-time thing for them, and I did not personally agree with that decision at all, uh, but the runners-up were uh, Fire of Love in second place and then Nalvani in third place. So in a way, you know, you could probably like maybe infer that those other two look pretty good in the race right now, along with all the beating the bloodshed and maybe something else like All That Breathes, which the international branch of the Academy might go for. But this race always throws surprises at us every year. Mm-hmm. And we also have to remember a lot of these documentaries are based off of archival footage, which we know the branch does not like. No, that's why I'm worried about something like Fire of Love, because yeah. even though like Summer of Love had a lot of archival footage, it still did have talking head interviews sprinkled throughout. Fire of Love doesn't have any of that. Neither not does Moon Age Daydream. So those are two that for me personally, I'm already eyeballing as, oh, you guys are out. And then Goodnight Oppie. I worry that it's like a little too popular, like almost um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, where maybe they just turn their nose at it and say, oh, we're going to go a different route with something a little bit more artsy instead. But then again, <laughs> my octopus teacher is right there as proof that that didn't that didn't matter in that case. So it could go it could go a number of different directions at the moment. But one thing is for sure. Uh, Good night, Oppie. Certainly, I think, needed that win to really solidify itself as a major contender in this race. Because prior to that, a lot of people had it on the outside. Now I see a lot of people are putting it in their five. Uh, and so it's 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 going to be, I think, a contender now uh, all the way through for the rest of the season. How far it will go, though, that still remains to be seen. I'm interested to see how it builds momentum. Because if I'm right, I don't think it's actually nominated at any of the other documentary nomination list we have so far no so it's going to have to face potentially navalny fire of love all the beating the bloodshed potentially getting some wins and it's amazon's gonna have to remind people oh yeah our documentary exists and we won this major award please yeah. pay attention to us all right so let's move over next to the film independent uh spirit awards nominations are going to be happening in two days on uh november 22nd Looking at some of the independent feature films for this year, uh, what are you expecting to show up 
And I, I, I will say this right away. You know how they have the uh, the Robert Altman Award where they give the award to the entire uh, ensemble cast of a film, but then the performances can't get nominated elsewhere? Mm-hmm. I think that's going to go to Women Talking. Makes sense. Mm, I mean, that's what literally I said this in the beginning of this podcast. It feels weird to single them out, so just give it all to them. Right? And I you remember last year they did that with, with Mass? Yeah. So I, I think it makes perfect sense for them to do that here. And then Women Talking could still get nominated for other things like, you know, feature and director and things yeah, like Sarah's that. Yeah, Sarah's fine. Right. Yeah, she's So you're, you're covering your bases there by acknowledging that entire ensemble. That, to me, like, makes the most sense in the world. And I will be kind of shocked if they don't do that. Uh, beyond that, though, like, with feature, I'm expecting everything everywhere all at once to show up again. Of course it will. I think it's kind of funny that they set a new budget ceiling for this year, and it was the exact perfect amount to get everything everywhere all at once eligible <laughs> for this award. It seems so purposefully decided. I love it. In this universe, they're getting in. What do you guys think about uh, Armageddon Time? I know that movie has some fans, but also, too, a, a little bit of a mixed reaction. Do you guys think that that could show up anywhere? I mean, I'm one of the people that has a mixed reaction, as I'm guessing a lot of the viewers are well aware, aware of. Um, I think if it's going to show up anywhere, it I feel like it needs to show up here to start its campaign, because I've still not heard much of an Oscar buzz for this film. Well, it did get Gotham Award nominations, you know, the New York equivalent of the Spirit Awards. But I agree with Amy. I think it needs to show up here if it wants to continue to have momentum. Mm-hmm. We could see Tar again show up. I mean, it did really well at the Gotham Awards. Is I, I mean, I imagine it would probably do well here, too. I would love to see the meltdown on film Twitter having to vote between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I still think The Whale is going to struggle in things like picture, but I would be a little shocked if Brendan Fraser or Hong Chao didn't get nominated. Oh, Brendan, definitely. Again, I haven't seen the film, so I can't really speak about Han, but Brendan, definitely. And they're doing genderless categories this year, correct? Mm-hmm. So, and it's five per category? Or, like, are we combining? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how many it is, but if I had to guess, I would say it would be, like, the Gotham Awards, and it would probably be ten nominees is my, mm-hmm. my guess. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, Brendan, definitely. I would say Kate Blanchett's also 100% in. Danielle Deadweiler for Till, probably. Yeah, she should get in. Mm-hmm. And then it's good that we're assuming Women Talking's getting the ensemble, so we don't have to worry about those girls, nope. which is good. Um, what Do you think that um, this is where Cha-Cha Real Smooth could show up for something? I would love it for Cha-Cha Real Smooth to show up here. Yeah, it could. It should. Um, I don't see it doing much all the way to the oscars right now it seems a little dead we haven't heard much noise about it since its release Mm -hmm. but i feel like if it wants to do anything it should come here especially in the screenplay category yeah the other thing too that i think is going to do extremely well here because uh, i have a feeling over the next couple of weeks we're going to see this movie get brought up a lot amongst the critics especially is after sun that's what i'm hoping i would love to see this do this is another film that if it does really well here, it will boost it up to another level. So the budget ceiling being $30 million. So I wonder if Banshees of Inishirin, like the Gotham Awards, would fall into the best international film category again. And thus not show up in the main categories like it did. Uh, so I, I think 
I have to do a little bit more research on that to determine that for sure, but that sounds like that that's possible. You know what's also really possible here? Just throwing this out there, I mean, I don't know, but this could be the place where Mia Goff could show up for Pearl. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I haven't seen the film. I'm not really a horror girl, but um, yeah, if there's if we're assuming 10 spots and if there's I think there's a lot of wiggle room to get 10 um people in here, I could totally see her getting in. I mean, she was at the Gotham Awards party last night. She is campaigning. She's doing the thing. And if she does the dance well, she can totally get in here. I mean, this is really where what you need to do in order to figure out what's going to show up at the Spirit Awards is you got to like look at the under the radar films that played at Sundance and then didn't really make much noise throughout the year. This is where, you know, you'll see someone like uh, Tandyway Newton show up for God's Country, for example. Would Bones and All qualify budget wise? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I would count that one. Mm hmm. I think Mark Rylance could show up in supporting for Bones and All. Like, that's very possible. Maybe Taylor Russell also shows up as well for outstanding lead performance. But, I mean, looking at, like, some of the more, like, tinier movies, you know, you have something like Funny Pages. Yeah. Which, you know, I think could show up. A Love Song. A Love Song is another one. Yep. I mean, like, I expect something like Funny Pages to show up for something like Best First Screenplay. Uh, A Love Song definitely makes a lot of sense. Or even something like uh, I I Love My Dad with Patton Oswalt. That screams Independent Spirit Award nominee to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, and even maybe Audrey Plaza for Emily the Criminal. Yeah, she got a Gotham Award nomination yeah. for that. So, yeah, that could happen. I could see that. I am trying to think of, like, something really, really, really small. <laughs> <laughs> something, like, super small that, like, I haven't, like, like, I'm not even, like, it's not even on my radar, you know? I mean, after Yang, if we could do like a double Colin, if Banshee gets in or if Banshee doesn't get in, he could do after Yang. So we got Farrell no matter what. Yeah, well, that that happened at Gotham 2, and that could also repeat here. I, I do think there is enough love for after Yang to get it in. Yeah. Um, I, I could see that happening for sure. Um, are there any other like big Oscar contenders uh, that we're expecting to maybe get a boost from the Spirit Awards, though, due to their... Uh, their budget size being eligible like causeway maybe for brian tyree henry that would be really good um i would love that yeah causeway is great again like kind of but this is again this is such a year of blockbusters yeah where i would say a good half of them of the films that we're looking at qualify for this and then the other half are these major blockbuster type films that just can't get in for budget reasons yeah no you're right about that that is true uh, which, you know, says a lot about the current state of the industry in terms of like what types of movies they want to embrace now after the pandemic. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to remember what the budget was for All Quiet on the Western Front right now, because I do wonder if that movie would be able to qualify. Um, I, I know it was shockingly made for less money than you would think it doesn't look like 30 yeah so i think it's i think that's also possible to show up for maybe international film if but they might see it as too big and too expansive for that category i mean i i would expect maybe close and decision to leave to show up there before i would see all quiet on the western front to be honest with you and then of course like on the documentary side of things you know pretty much all the documentary uh contenders that you could think of will probably show up there fire of love Navani will probably be there, I'm sure. That's um, I imagine all the Beauty and the Bloodshed would get in. And then probably... Uh, 
Well, I'll leave it at that for now. I'll leave it at those. But I, the one I would really like to see get in is I would love to see Senior get a leg up somewhere. Because mm. that movie's not been hitting the precursors, but also, too, a lot of people haven't seen it. Yeah, it's not yet. A lot of people aren't seeing it yet. But Downey is up and running the campaign for this guy. Like, he is everywhere I see him. He's going to bat for his dad. And yeah. who can blame him? Cute. So yeah, I would love to see that get in, and I hear, I hear it's great. Yeah. All right. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, why don't we move over to our first trailer here, which is going to be for Magic Mike's Last Dance. This is the third and I guess final Magic Mike film, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek Penalt. It is going to be released in theaters on February 10th. Let's take a look at the trailer. We'll give some thoughts here. What did you want before Miami? I just wanted to escape my life. I need you. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? But then you came along. And gave me this unexpected, magical moment that made me remember who I really was. All good things come in threes, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Soderbergh, what a director. I know, seriously. Who would have thought that Magic Mike would be a trilogy one day? Like, what a guy. <laughs> and get it, Selma. Uh, right? I love that she has this role opposite Channing Tatum in this story. At 56 years old, she is just crushing it. I love the decisions she's making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's doing great. I mean, I, I never would have thought that Magic Mike back in, what was it, 2012 or something like that? I never in my wildest dreams thought this movie would be this ongoing thing. And it's funny to me now because I look at the trailer for this and it looks more like a step-up movie than it does a Magic Bike movie with all the dance choreography and the stage work and, like, the lighting and all, all, all this stuff. It seems like that, like, we've moved away from the, you know, stripper, like, angle of it all. But one thing that surprised me about Magic Bike when I finally got around to seeing it because I definitely was not interested <laughs> when it first came out... Uh, but when I eventually did watch it, I realized, wow, this is what happens when you have a filmmaker like Steven Soderbergh uh, making your movie here. There was a real intro introspective character study uh, going on with this uh, character here played by Channing Tatum, who at the time also I wasn't the biggest fan of. I didn't think he was, you know, a good actor. But Magic Mike was a real turning point for me. Uh, and then couple that along with 21 Jump Street, Foxcatcher, and you realize, wow, no, this, this stunningly handsome and talented guy actually has some real like acting chops here. And I think in the years since then, he's proven that he's willing to take risks. And he's actually been, I think, a little bit undervalued in a lot of ways, because I feel like a lot of people still don't really know how to deal with him as this leading man who you know also can do comedy can do dancing and he could do all these different things but it, it just feels weird to me that like over the last couple of years he he hasn't been in my mind like as big of a star as it, he was initially positioned as you know that many years ago no yeah i get that i think he kind of came up in that weird 
2010 situation where they were putting him in like a Ryan Gosling or like that, like romantic guy, Ryan Reynolds, like that type of category of leading man where I think Channing can do so much more and he could go darker if he wanted to. But I think this role is such a good um, combination of comedy and drama and it's really incorporated in his dancer he did work as a dancer before so this kind of plays into his strengths and i think this is honestly one of the best roles he has i love seeing him grow with it Mm -hmm. i have to ask like are we getting our og guys like matt is matt bomber not in anymore is joe magliato not in it anymore like those are the guys they're not here like brah I need Joe. So, like, I'm going to miss those guys because I love seeing the guys together. But, um, oh, well. But, yeah, this will, it's going to be so much fun. And I think, again, as long as I see the actors having fun, it makes my viewing experience so much better. So just to see all of these guys, you know, put on a nice dance and, like, it's an athletic, it's cool, it's sexy, it's a fun time at the movies where people are screaming and like throwing their popcorn like it's a show in vegas and it's just gonna be fun i I just find it very odd though that the it it feels to me like the target audience that they're going for for this movie is a bit older now and is that because the you know franchise if you want to call it that is 10 years older than it was when it first started or are they just taking it in a totally different direction? Because, you know, you think about when the first Magic Mike came out and Channing Tatum's uh, fan base at the time, you had a lot of a lot of young guys and a lot of young gals all going out to the uh, theater to see uh, Channing Tatum and some of the other guys all take their clothes off. Here, though, it almost feels like oh, we're, we're, we're targeting this one for the moms. I mean, you know how, like, good the box office for Bad Moms was? Like, those girls sell movies, tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Magic Mike is currently, has, it's like a Vegas show now, and it does really well. Hmm. So, I mean, it's selling out, it's entertaining. So, you know, that target audience, they bring it out. I mean, even Fifty Shades, when that came out into theaters, it was selling, and... So I don't think it's a bad move. Plus, like you are going to get the, you know, those older millennials who did grow up with Channing and even the younger millennials. We're all going to go see them. Yeah. So I think it's just good. It's just good marketing on them to include, you know, the mom group of it because it's you need a good mo- it's a good mom's night out, I would say. Fair enough. I'm just kind of thinking about chatting sort of filmography, but even in the past year where we had the Lost City and Dog starting to sort of reestablish him as this leading role. But I do wonder if his name is sort of an appeal for younger audiences. Like I worked at a movie theater when both both those films came out and it was primarily an older audience. It was moms who were going to see it. Even though Dog was rated PG, I hardly saw like any kids or young teens interested in Channing Tatum. So I do think it is a good marketing strategy. And you've just seen recently with Ticket to Paradise, that made a lot of money from an older audience just wanting to see George Clooney and Julia Roberts have fun on the big screen. So I do think it's a good marketing play here. Also, too, Channing Tatum is 42 years old. You, you like you wouldn't know by looking at him. I, I still feel like he is in his 30s. <laughs> Time yeah, you is not real. Like, He's going to be like that guy that's like 60. He's going to be like Tom Cruise, and you're going to look at him and be like, no way. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts? Anybody? 
It looks hot. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I admire that Steven Soderbergh has continually like come back to this character, and I'm curious to see it. I'm not like jumping with tremendous excitement to watch it because you know it's the third in a franchise. I kind of think I know what to expect at this point, and Soderbergh he makes solidly good movies with the occasional stinker in there. But I feel like it's been a while since we saw a great Steven Soderbergh film. And I'm not expecting that to change here. I mean, I also know, like, it's coming out, what, like, early February? Yeah. So we're going to, right? So we're going to have, like, you know, those, like, fun December releases that are just clunkers. And we're going to be in the heat of Oscar season. So we're going to need a good, nice, relaxing, levity, good, decent movie. And I think this is going to satisfy that itch. But also keep in, keep in mind something else, too, that's also interesting to think of. Steven Soderbergh didn't direct Magic Mike XXL. He directed the first film, and he was the cinematographer and the editor on the second one. So I'm wondering if him coming back, like, wh- like why did he decide to come back for this one? To end it. No, I know. But I'm sure, maybe. But, like, I, I wonder if there is something more to it story-wise maybe i don't know we'll have to see maybe all right let's move over next to the polls let's see what the mvp film community had to say for last week's poll which is where we asked everyone for the release of she said which is your favorite movie about journalism so amy smith we can start off with you here movies about journalism any favorites well, you kind of, I feel like, have to add Citizen Kane to this list because it is one of the greatest films of all time, as cliche as it sounds like nowadays. I do want to highlight the documentary Writing with Fire from a few years ago. I think that's actually one of the most important films about journalism, especially women's space and journalism across the world. Um, but if I have to pick one favorite, I'm going to go with Zodiac here. Love that. Really cool. Nice. Lauren, how about you? I'm going to be basic and say Spotlight. I really, really love Spotlight. I think it was a crazy, fascinating, um, world-turning story that was published. And I think it was told in a great narrative, a great dramatic and entertaining way. And I think it deserved the best picture that year. So I'm just going to say Spotlight all the way. And I'm going to say The Insider. Um, I really, really, really love Al Pacino and Russell Crowe's work in that movie in particular. Uh, Let's see, though, what the MVP film community voted on here for their top 10. Uh, Number 10, we have Steven Spielberg's The Post. Okay. Not a fan? It's okay. Yeah, I wasn't blown away by it either. It's it's there. Like, it exists. It's there. It's good. But I recommend it's kind of... I mean, it's a Spielberg film. It's very recommendable. Yeah. Like, it plays well. Yeah. I just wasn't, I was not blown away by it. I remember when it came out in 2017 and a lot of people really liked Meryl Streep's performance in it. I thought she was good, but similarly, like, I just didn't think she was, like, she didn't knock me out. Yeah. It was a, it's okay. Like, it's the, just the definition of, okay, it's good. Uh, number nine, Almost Famous. This one about a rock journalist. Yeah, that that's, yeah, good movie. Great movie. Oh, man. I love Almost Famous. Fun fact, Almost Famous is my favorite movie of that year, of the 2000s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Are you going to go see the show on Broadway? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number eight, The Insider. My choice. Hey-oh. 
Who here hasn't seen The Insider? Yeah, I haven't. Oh, Amy! <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I'm, do, I'm literally doing a uni course in journalism. Like, I should really watch these films. Michael Mann's best film. Also, too, if you're doing a journalism course, fun fact, I was actually asked to write a paper in school uh, about The Insider for... Uh, I don't think it was actually like journalism itself, but it was it was about like how media influences uh, culture, basically. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Number seven, broadcast news. Ooh. James L. Brooks. Great movie. That's an all timer. Great movie. Love that one. Number six, the movie that people would have you believe is the all timer, Citizen Kane. I'm surprised it's actually that low. I mean, I'm not because our voting tends to skew a little bit more uh, newer. Older films tend to struggle a little bit in this uh, on our polls sometimes. But I'm glad that it's here. Number five. Oh, one of my favorites of all time. Network. Nice. Yeah. That's a great screenplay. I forget how strong this subgenre is sometimes. Right? Like some of your favorite movies of all time are in this genre. And you would think like, oh, it's about news. It's about reporting. It's going to be boring. But like, no, it's actually one of the strongest subgenres if you actually think about it. Number four, the dark side of reporting and journalism, Nightcrawler. Yeah. Again, great. (laughs) (laughs) What lengths will you go to to capture a story? Number three is Zodiac. Nice. Which I, I recognize there is a journalism like aspect to it because you have the Paul Avery character played by Robert Downey Jr. But then you have the Jake Gyllenhaal character who works with him for a time, but then goes off and does his own thing. You have Mark Ruffalo. It's a police investigation movie. It, it's a lot of things like kind of all coming together. So a bit of a flimsy pick, I think, in some cases, but it's there. The journalism aspect is there. Number two, All the President's Men. Yeah. Which we just reviewed on the podcast recently. No, just like, yeah, that's like the staple journalism movie. Yeah. Makes sense that it's that high. And number one, Spotlight. What's up, basic bitches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't surprise me at all, to be honest. All right, and then for this week's poll... I thought this would be a good time to ask this question because we're about to head into the Thanksgiving holiday and screeners are starting to go out to awards voting members right now. So people are wanting to know what should I prioritize in my screener pile. So we're asking everyone, which 10 films do you think will be nominated for Best Picture? And I think depending on how this list goes, uh, you know, that might influence a voter or two to say, hmm, I need to give that a watch. So let's pull up our predictions right now. And let's take a look and see which 10 films we have currently getting nominated for Best Picture as of today. And I'll start us off. So this way, give you two ladies uh, some time to put together your 10. And I will first come forward and say my number 10 is Sight Unseen, Avatar The Way of Water. I have it this low because I haven't seen it yet. So... That's why I have it at number 10. Once I do get a chance to see it, maybe it'll go higher. Maybe it'll drop off altogether. But as Lauren has told us on, I think, every podcast she's been a part of this <laughs> award season, we should not doubt James Cameron. And I, I do I do agree. Smart man, smart man. Number nine, I think that Guillermo del Toro is enough of a respected uh, star in Hollywood that he could propel 
his version of Pinocchio to become the next animated film to be nominated for Best Picture. So I have it in at number nine. I also think that come hell or high water, Netflix is going to get a Best Picture nomination with one of their contenders, even though I think all of them are facing an uphill climb. But this one, strangely enough, even though it is animated, I think actually has maybe the easiest path because of Guillermo. Because he is the star of this campaign. And God almighty, when you listen to this guy talk in an event or a Q&A or an interview or anything at all, you cannot help but just love this man. So I have that at number nine. Number eight, uh, critic reviews be damned. I think the whale is going to work for the majority of people who watch it. And when I say majority of people, I'm talking like regular people. I'm talking people that are not film critics. I'm talking people who see only a few movies a year. I think they're going to cry buckets when they watch this movie. Uh, My experience of watching it at Toronto was unlike anything I've ever experienced before, where literally every single person in the theater was crying around me. I've never seen anything like that before. And there have been other numerous reports of that happening as well. So I have that at number eight. Uh, Number seven, I have Tar, directed by Todd Field. There are some elements to it that I could see it possibly dropping off at some point, but I do think it is strong enough overall to still make it in. Uh, Number six is uh, Top Gun Maverick, which over a billion dollars, people go into the theater multiple times to see it. Amy said earlier it's her favorite film of the year. It's many people's favorite film of the year. It's going to get enough votes and placements, I think, to get in here. Uh, number five is Babylon for the reasons that I was saying earlier, which was it feels like it's one of those like too big to ignore type films where even if it gets uh, middling reception from critics po- possibly, which it really I think is going to be a love it or hate it movie for a lot of people. I think that it will have enough support across different branches of the Academy to still get it in there. Uh, number four is Women Talking. And the top four in general, I think everybody's going to have here. Uh, Women Talking, number three, Banshees of Inishirin, and number two, The Fablemans. And number one, right now, I have everything everywhere all at once. Uh, Call me crazy. Uh, Something tells me that, you know, this race is going to go one of two ways. Either Fablemans is going to go all the way. Um, It's currently our front runner. Or I think everything everywhere all at once might have enough passion behind it to be that underdog movie that quietly sneaks up at the very end kind of like how parasite was able to do it kind of like how coda was able to do it moonlight and so everything everywhere all at once feels like that movie to me right now amy what about you what are your 10 yep so the 10 i have right now and i will be updating this on the site later on tonight because i've been bad at that um i'm gonna bump she said down to number 10 mainly because the box office hasn't been that great this weekend for it unfortunately but i still think it's gotten good enough reviews. It got an A cinema score, which I think is going to boost it. And I think it's going to be the sort of film that Hollywood wants to get into, like self-congratulate itself early on. That's my number 11. And it all depends on how well Avatar does for me mm-hmm. because... Well, Avatar's 11 for me. Yeah, if Avatar like is seen as an improvement on the first film, then I'm keeping it in over she said. But if there's enough people that are saying, oh, it's not as good, oh, it's worse then I'll probably drop Avatar to 11 and bump she said back to 10. Mm-hmm. And then um, number nine is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. As soon as I saw the like rate, like not even positive, like overly positive reviews from London and all the film festivals, 
I kind of saw Nightmare Alley got in in a year of eight when it wasn't regarded as Guillermo's best film. People are adoring this one. I don't see how Netflix doesn't push this as their main contender at this point. Um, number eight is Tar. Number seven is The Whale. Number six, I have it at two right now, but I'm pushing Babylon down to number six for now. I still think it gets in, but I think the top five now are pretty secure in how critics and the Academy is starting to see these films. We still don't have that yet for Babylon. I'm waiting to see what that reception is. Um, Number five, Top Gun Maverick. Although I have been contemplating the idea of if Top Gun Maverick gets in and overperforms the nominations, is that the film that just does well in a preferential ballot? Like we're thinking of everything, everywhere, all at once. And then a year of blockbusters, does that pull a surprise best picture win? Crazy to think about right now, but I think there's a small chance that in a preferential ballot it does well. I've talked to some people who have proposed that to me. And I, I have a lot of questions uh, for them, mm-hmm. mostly, though, from a stats standpoint. But then I have to remind myself, well, the Academy threw stats out the window last year. So, <laughs> yep. So I think that is a possibility. And then number four, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number three, Banshees of Inishirin. Number two, Women Talking. And number one, still defaulting to the Fablemans for now. I don't feel confident about that. But also, I don't know what else to do right now. Yeah. All right, Lauren, how about you? Um, Very similar to you guys. I feel like my bottom five is kind of like a mix of it could be easily maneuvered, changed, swapped out with other things. And then my top five are pretty solid where I'm definitely thinking they're getting in and they're going to stay in the top five throughout the entire season. So right now at 10, I have Tar. Um, I think it's great, but I could also see it just being, you know, director or screenplay or actress. I could just see it being like that and still think it's successful. Like a, like a fox catcher type yeah. scenario. Yeah, I could, it could easily do that. And, um, then I have the whale for kind of the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I have Babylon that I kind of knocked down to a, just because of the insane mixing of the reviews, but I think it's again, big enough to still stay in the best picture lineup, especially with Chazelle being so popular with the Academy. I have, she said next, I think it's definitely, I still have it in. I'm not nervous about it knocking out, which we definitely talked about on the podcast the other day, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think the Academy is going to honor it in some way. And I think it's going to make it into picture. Then I have Avatar because I'm James Cameron's number one fan and I have faith in him. And I just think that the man is creating technology that is going to be the go-to technology for the next 10 years when it comes to film, when it comes to television, when it comes to virtual reality and gaming. And he's literally going to move the needle and we're going to see that needle move when we see Avatar. So I think that's just going to push it up and I think it's going to do well overall and I think people are going to love it. Then I have Top Gun Maverick for all those same reasons you guys said. It made a lot of money. Vroom vroom. It's great. It's kind of like Avatar where they're redefining how to film with the aviation stuff, which was really cool. And then my top four are pretty solid. I have Banshees at number four. 
uh, Women Talking is number three, and then I have Fablemans at two, and I really do think Everything Everywhere All at Once is in a great spot, and I think it can win. All right. So give or take a couple of films near the bottom of our list here. Uh, We're looking pretty aligned. I'll be curious to see how it lines up with the MVP film community. But for those that are listening right now, if you're wondering like which screeners prioritize over this Thanksgiving holiday, um, I think these 15, 12, whatever it was, films that we mentioned here uh, are the ones that you should probably catch. All right, now let's talk about our second trailer for this week here. This is uh, a trailer for Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh, wait, nope, sorry. It's just called Inside, but it is not directed by Bo Burnham. No. (laughs) This movie is instead starring Willem Dafoe and is directed by, I hope I'm going to say this correctly, Vasilis Katsupis. Uh, it is going to be released by Focus Features on March 10th, 2023. And uh, yeah, let's take a look at the trailer. We'll give some thoughts here. Okay, you got seven minutes. Stay focused. The art in here is worth millions. Proceed to step two. Okay, but for real though, I did find it hilarious that I was able to screen grab like a few shots from this trailer and it really did like look like if somebody were to take Bo Burnham's inside and make it into a feature film, like Willem Dafoe like wrapped up in sheets going insane in in like a enclosed space. I was, I was dying. Oh no. Uh, But I mean, this is clearly, uh, I I like the concept here, right? This is a art thief who gets trapped in a New York penthouse. Uh, God knows how long he is stuck there, but it's one of those single man uh, survival movies akin to something like, you know, All is Lost starring Robert Redford. I, I like these types of movies. I like watching characters use their creativity and ingenuity to try and get out of complex situations. Um, I just always ask, please do not make these films too long and anywhere from like 80 to 90 minutes. I think it's just a very nice sweet spot for these types of films. Uh, I very much enjoyed, you know, the cinematography and some of the visuals that were conveyed here as well. And as a last note, I have a feeling that this movie will premiere at Sundance this year. Ooh, that that would actually make sense. I just love that we saw Willem Dafoe go mad across uh, Robert Pattinson in the lighthouse and we thought, yeah, let's just make him go insane by himself now. <laughs> I mean, Willem Dafoe going insane in movies, I think is its own subgenre He's good at, at this point. Yeah, sign me up if it's just Willem Dafoe going crazy. That's good. and That's why you hire Willem Dafoe. Exactly. Uh, I also just find it great, too, that, you know, he's 67 years old. He looks he looks great i mean like i feel like he's looked the same for the last 20 years or so uh but he just still looks so i don't know like nimble and like not as i don't know he doesn't look frail you know he looks pretty spry for a 67 year old you know no yeah he's got muscles on him oh yeah like he's good yeah and there's a lot being asked of him here uh physically and we know psychologically he can dig deep into a character and, you know, give it, give it his all. It's just always a question of how is the screenplay, you know, what's the ultimate film like? I mean, it's very rare that we see Willem Dafoe's talents, like, line up with a project that gets him, uh, you know, into the Oscar conversation. And then when it does, it's, it, it, you know, unfortunately, like something like Florida Project, it was too small. 
Uh, the Northman was too dark. Uh, so not the dwarf Northman. Uh, the um, the lighthouse. <laughs> Northman too. I mean, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that Willem Dafoe is willing to take risks. That's like probably my favorite aspect about him is that I feel like there's nothing that he won't do. Which I respect with an actor of you know this caliber that he could just dive in and do what he wants and get as crazy as he can get and just push it with no fear. It makes the most entertaining films, in my opinion, which I love watching. And I love even with, you know, a movie set for March. I think March is an interesting time for movies to come out. You never really know what you're going to get, which makes it entertaining for me. Like you could have films that are kind of okay, but then you could also have the best films of the year come out in March. The Batman came out in March this year. Yeah, like that's what's fun about March. You really never know what you're going to get. And it's kind of this roulette of, you know, finding these gems that these studios kind of have faith in, but they don't really know how great it is until they release it. So it's, I'm really excited for it. And again, just Willem Dafoe trying to outsmart something and potentially go insane because of it will always be entertaining. And if it's paired with a skillful director and a smart screenplay, it just will be even stronger. So it yeah. seems like a good win no matter what. Yeah, I always think about like that period in January, February where I'm like, oh, my God, it's Sundance. Oh, my God, it's still award season. But God, there's still all these new movies coming out. And so many of them, a lot of the time, they're not really that good. Let's be honest. <laughs> January, February is kind of like a dumping ground. I feel like for a lot of these studios. But then when you get to like March, April, you're right, Lauren, you do start to see uh, some more quality films uh, start to then come out. And some of them uh, could last the entire year at like something like Everything Everywhere All at Once. So, you know, I, I definitely think that there is something possibly here that we could be, you know, for all we know, maybe even talking about a year from now as, oh, yeah, guys, Willem Dafoe, Spirit Award nominee for Inside. What do you think of that? <laughs> totally possible. Yeah, the last time I was excited for a sort of horror drama about the art sort of industry it was velvet buzzsaw so as long as this is better than that film i'm okay with this fair enough yeah i totally get that uh one other thing i also want to point out here is that the uh screenplay uh is written by ben hopkins uh who uh, if you look at like the previous filmography here not much to really go off of in my opinion uh and the, the director i also am not familiar uh, with their previous work either so really the selling point is Defoe. And if you just say to people, hey, it's Defoe, it's a one-man show, that's it. I'm kind of already there, regardless of anything else. Yeah, again, just say Willem Defoe potentially going crazy by himself. <laughs> You're sold. All right. Well, like I said before, this will be coming out March 10th, 2023. Uh, keep in mind my prediction here. I have a feeling it'll be a Sundance uh, debut, but... We'll wait and see on that one. And now for questions from the fans this week, let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? 
And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Danny Jarabek, between A24 and Neon, who will have more awards success this year? A24. A24. Yeah. I love I love Neon, but I don't think that their slate is strong enough to get a uh, a best picture uh, best picture contender. I mean, Triangle of Sadness could still find its way into best picture, maybe. But I think Fire of Love, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Maybe one of their international titles like The Quiet Girl, you know, like that, that that's where I think their real success is going to come from this year where A24, I mean, I mean, the whale and everything everywhere at once alone, like they're, they're just blessed, I think, this year. And then you have After Sun, which is kind of like lying in wait with the precursors, given how if something like New York Film Critics Circle or National Society of Film Critics, if they go hard for this movie, who knows how far After Sun could go in this race. Could be the drive my car this year. It really could be. Uh, Georgie Masters, considering the acting categories, is there anyone you think stands a chance for a nomination from an international feature film? After watching All Quiet on the Western Front, Felix Kammerer is more than worthy of a nomination, in my opinion. Yeah, no, he he is fantastic in that movie. He's great in that. Uh, But I just... uh, Like, I'm sorry. I just... I don't think we're going to see... An international performance get nominated this year. Yeah, it takes a lot for that to happen, and I don't, I don't see a per, a singular person for it right now. So I don't think there's enough time for someone to do that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just looked at all my tens for supporting lead just now, and yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no one I, I even have in my ten at the moment. I know people really wanted Tang Wei for a decision to leave, but like, people were asking me when I saw the film, like, do you think she's going to get nominated? And I'm like, she's not a big name in, like, the Western culture, unfortunately. You, like, you saw Renata Rines, the she could have probably been six or seven. Like, even Mads Mikkelsen for another round couldn't crack with five in that year. It's very, very hard to break with five unless you're Antonio Banderas or Penelope Cruz, I feel. Which is incredibly sad. It's really sad that this is the case. Yeah. Connor Olin, do you think the results of the midterm elections could have any impact on the best picture race? Uh, No. We still have Biden in office. Yeah, we lost the House to the Republicans, but I don't see that having such a huge impact. Uh, Connor Lorenz, if you had to call it today, who do you think is winning best original score? Ah. I kind of have John Williams in there by default right now. That's what I have. I have John John Williams by default, but I'm also not seeing a lot of passion for that score. Right, exactly. That's why he's vulnerable, and I think that that's where Justin Hurwitz for Babylon or Hildur Gautinier for uh, Women Talking uh, could potentially win uh, a second one. How's the score in Pinocchio? 
it's good. It's very shape of watery. It's mm-hmm. not it's not the kind of score that is so singular that to me it like screams winner. But he's good for a nomination, I think. Okay. I mean, if I was giving the score award to anyone, I would be giving it to Michael Giacchino for the Batman. <laughs> Great score. Uh, Benny Dawson, let's say Emancipation isn't a big late awards player, but manages to get an ASC nod similar to Cherry. <laughs> but unlike that film, do you think it could slip into best cinematography? The Academy loves Robert Richardson and it's shot in mainly black and white, which is a dangerous combination. Uh, let me ask you this question. Other than the fact that it is Robert Richardson, who is a branch name, visually speaking, when you watch the trailers here, what is the real difference between this and women talking? It's a good question. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they're similar. I mean, I haven't seen Emancipation yet. I know it's starting to screen now, and I'm sure, who knows? Probably not by next week, but maybe the week after I will have seen the movie, and I'll be able to talk about it more then, but... The trailer definitely does look very pretty, but I, I honestly don't know what to make of this film yet because a lot of it, I think, is writing on how does the industry feel about Will Smith. And I know that's sad because there's probably a lot of uh, below-the-line elements in this, maybe from sound to makeup to the cinematography as mentioned here, but something tells me that depending on how people feel about Will Smith in the current climate at the moment, that's just going to have a negative residual effect on everybody else. Yeah, I know little to nothing about this film, only the trailer and the pictures that I've seen. I need more information, personally, to make an accurate gauge. Right. Scott Kernan, I always found it hard to believe that we would have two years in a row of a film-winning director and nothing else. After seeing The Fablemans, I genuinely think it has a shot to not only win director, but cinematography also. Do you think that that is possible? So it's funny because when I look at my current predictions, something does scream, oh, this can't be right. This has got to be wrong because I do have the Fablemans winning director and nothing else. (laughs) And so I, I, in my heart of hearts, I know that the Fablemans is probably winning picture, probably actress for Michelle Williams too, as much as that pains me to say. Because I think she's supporting um, and director. Maybe something else, too. Uh, But, you know, Jane Campion winning for Power of the Dog last year and director. Maybe that is where we're heading. Maybe. There's definitely a world where Steven Spielberg just wins director and that's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I could totally see it. And this kind of goes back to something I just said a second ago. Jordan, a take on films, wants to know, do you all think that if Michelle Williams is nominated that she could win? How good is she in the movie, Matt? Good enough. I I don't know. I think... Let me put it to you this way. Back when she was considered supporting or going supporting, the performance was good enough that I thought she had the Oscar sign sealed and delivered and that there would be nobody that would beat her. Once it was announced that she was going lead, I was like, whoa, because unlike some of the other lead contenders who have showcase roles where they are the movie... The same cannot be said for Michelle Williams. It's not her movie. The movie doesn't belong to her. <laughs> it belongs to Steven Spielberg. And yeah. by extension, the, the actors that are playing Steven Spielberg. Uh, so once again, in my opinion, a supporting performance. So 
it's good enough, but that's what's holding me back. But can she compete with an everything everywhere all at once? Can she compete with Tar? Can she compete with Till? Like these are powerful pillars. I think she could beat Michelle Yeoh. Um, I think she could beat Till on the fact that Feeblebins is a stronger film than Till with the Academy, probably. But when it comes to Tar and Kate Blanchett, uh, Blanchett very well could just dangle Day-Lewis her way through a season, just winning everything in her path. It, like, that, that is a possibility that could still happen. And then it won't matter. I think if Michelle Williams wins, then the film has to win picture at that point. Yes, I, I agree. There's no way that Michelle Williams wins uh, without the film also winning picture, in my opinion. Uh, Austin Daniel, could you see a resurgence for Ron Howard's 13 Lives? And if so, what nominations do you think it could realistically get on its best day? <sighs> this is a tough one. I didn't see it yet. Really? It's streaming on uh, Amazon. I know. University is hard. <laughs> okay. I can so relate. I haven't seen it either. But part of me is also like, I saw the documentary last year, which told the story so well. Like, I know this is not going to reach that level. That, but that's what I mean. And I guess that answers the question. Like, I think that no matter what, I something tells me that this movie is not going to have the surge that Amazon's probably hoping it will. But I could see some craft nominations for it, possibly. You know, like, it kind of blew my mind when I heard that the production design for the movie, uh, The Cave in particular, was all that. It was all production design. So that was kind of mind-blowing. The sound work, I think, is truly incredible, and that should get a nomination. Uh, there's some really good editing work in there. They, they, they're pushing it. They're trying. How far it's going to go, I don't know. The word from the screenings and from all the Guild members I've spoken to says they really really like it but I don't know. I'm a little I'm a, I'm still a little cautious on it. Uh Jacob loves film. What is going to be the film with the most acting nominations? I mean it has to be either Women Talking or Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah, cuz I think Banshees on its best day if it manages to get Barry Keoghan in, it could get 4. Right. On its absolute best day. It's been a long time since we've gotten before acting quartet well but that wouldn't happen here though because nobody's going to be nominated for best actress yeah oh shit yeah um i know what you mean though yeah no film is doing that this year yeah no one's doing that this year Ugh. um but but what we are seeing is we are seeing the possibility of the supporting uh categories having more than one person so you have fableman's in supporting actor with judd hirsch and paul dano and then you have in supporting actor um Banshees of Inishirin with Gleason and Barry Keoghan. Women Talking, we were saying earlier, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley in supporting. Uh, and is there anything else I'm thinking of? Oh, well, I guess everything everywhere all at once. I mean, I, I don't think this is happening, but, you know, there is an argument still to be made for Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue. On their best day, but yeah. Um, yeah, there's potential. Again, it's still kind of early. We don't really have precursors out yet for actors, but... Um... There's a lot of potential for doubles, which is interesting for a year this crowded. Uh, ben S. asks, which is more likely, three Disney Pixar movies nominated for Best Animated Feature or two Marvel movies nominated for Best Visual Effects? Uh, Disney Pixar for Animated Feature is probably more likely. 
Visual effects is crowded this year. The animation branch loves Disney Pixar. The visual effects branch, I don't think they love Marvel all that much. I mean, like, they get one film usually in, but not enough to get two. Yeah, most most of them make the bake-off, but I feel like only one gets in usually. I mean, and the two would have to be, I guess, Doctor Strange and Black Panther, because the visual effects in Love and Thunder have just been completely ripped apart by people. Yeah, but I still think if one's going to get in, it's just going to be Black Panther because we have Avatar, we have Batman, we have Top Gun, we have everything everywhere all at once. And even though the visual effects in Wakanda Forever are better than the first film, in my opinion, they might still overlook it. Yeah. All right, so Akshat Davala, I know Best Adapted Screenplay seems like a lock for women talking right now, but we have seen perceived locks collapse over the course of a season before. What other movie do you think would be win competitive in that category against Women Talking? Women Talking is a lock. Lauren, we said this about Power of the Dog last year. <laughs> Truly, we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we want to make it competitive, maybe, I don't know, Glass Onion or The Whale? I don't like. No, I, no I think yeah. there's, there's an argument there. But Women Talking is a lock. <laughs> okay. Listen, I have women talking at number one as well. I would go so far as to say right now, the runner-up is the whale. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, depending on how much steam she said builds, uh, like Amy was saying before, they might just want to find a way to reward that film. Maybe that is the, the number two. That's what I would have said for number two right now. Yeah, it's a film about them. Yeah, but as of right, I don't see women talking losing because this is... I wouldn't even say it's a weak year for adapted screenplay. It's just all our perceived contenders, such as The Sun, just did not work. No. Isaac B., do you think that Empire of Light is being underestimated as an awards contender right now? Uh, no. Movie is kind of a mess. I think, and I've said this literally since day one, there are three possible nominations for that movie and that's Olivia Colman and Best Actress Best Cinematography because it's Roger Deakins and Best Original Score because it's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross that's it and right now looking at like most of our predictions a lot of us have those all in the ten but outside of the five and that sounds right to me right now so no I don't think we're underestimating it I have Colman in because I feel like you can't you can't question Coleman, considering the past few years, but she is easily number five for me, and I could easily like drop her out of in the next few weeks at this point, because I've just heard nothing about this film. Mm-hmm. TV Fontaine, congratulations to Diane Warren. Uh, she won an Oscar uh, last night honorary award at the Governor's Awards, which, by the way, um, I don't know if you all had a chance to see, but uh, Variety... And a couple of other places on YouTube did upload some of the speeches, so definitely take a look at those if you want to get a chance to listen to some of the speeches from Michael J. Fox, Peter Weir, and Diane Warren, who, God, you gotta you gotta just admire and love that she was like, I've been waiting so long to say these words, thank you to the Academy. I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, but the question here is asking, looking back... Uh, it looks like a lot of her songs went up against juggernauts in, in the category in their respective years. So which song do you think should have uh, she should have won for? And do you think she'll be nominated again this season? I got to tell you all, I actually <laughs> last night I I did put her her uh, song applause 
from Tell It Like a Woman into my five. I had that number five as soon as I heard that it was competing. Right? Like, you can't deny her the nomination at this point. Oh, gosh. Bless that woman. I think the closest that she probably came to winning was probably I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. But that is also the best song she has written that's gotten a nomination. Yes, I think so, too. God, when I look at... It should have won. I, I think it should have won. No, yeah, that it's right where she... They're good songs, but they're literally up against these, as they said, juggernauts of competition where it's you feel bad because she's always there. She's the most consistent one. But the her competition, you just can't not give it at some times. Mm-hmm. So I under, we, we all understand the pain of... Diane Warren's Oscar luck. But she's got an honorary award now. So she officially has one now, so yay. The question now becomes this. The question becomes now that she's gotten the honorary award. Is it enough? The, then it will, like, does this mean that the branch is not going to just nominate her for anything and everything anymore? Because they're going to be like, all right, you got yours. <laughs> we can move on now. <laughs> but I, I think she'll continue to keep getting nominated. I really do. Uh, All right, and then for our final question for this week comes from Isaiah Washington. In honor of Martin Scorsese's 80th birthday, which just passed, one of his films has to go. Good luck, and I hope all of you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Okay, one of these has to go, ladies. Raging Bull, The Departed, the Irishman or Goodfellas? Ugh, Isaiah. I know. Why do you do this to us? I hate him. I mean, I mean, I don't really hate him, but like, <laughs> it's like a passing feeling. Like, I hate him for a few minutes every time this kind of thing happens. And then I'm like, OK, we're, we're cool again. You know, he comes up with good ones. And then the next week I hate him again. No, you got to give it to him. Um. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, maybe in order to save De Niro and Raging Bull, I'm going to sacrifice the Irishman. Oh, man. Ooh. This is tough because Raging Bull, I think, is one of the all-time like great performances. Mm-hmm. The Departed is just so goddamn fun. It's so good. Goodfellas is so formative and maybe the greatest gangster film ever made. Yep. And the Irishman, the thing, the thing about the Irishman is that I think that movie's power is something that is going to resonate with us even deeper as we all get older and revisit it. Yeah, but if we're going to sacrifice something, we still have Pesci and Goodfellas. We still have the we still have De Niro with Raging Bull. Like, I feel like it's okay to get rid of it then if we have to get rid of it. You know it. what? Yeah, I'm okay with getting rid of the Irishman. I I mean, like, I'm not okay with it, but I'm okay with it. I'm not okay. No, oh God. Is <laughs> <laughs> oh. that? I'm probably going to go Irishman as well, as much oh, as it man. pains me. In the words of Joe Pesci, it is what it is. Um, fuck. I just can't, yeah. I can't lose the other three. I just can't. <sighs> All right, yeah, the Irishman. It's got to be the Irishman. But we love it. Yeah, we do. It's a shame that the Academy didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ten nominations, no wins. God damn. Womp womp. Uh, but I, I actually do think that the Irishman is... Uh, I, I really do believe it's like probably yeah it's it's one of it's one of his like masterpieces specifically because who is casting it what the film is about when he made it at this point in his career 
it, it, yeah, I understand that maybe the narrative and like the movie itself, like overall, is maybe not as strong as some of these other ones, but the context is what matters here. And for anyone that grew up watching Pacino, De Niro, Pesci, Scorsese, who all helped to define what this genre ultimately is, you know, seeing them all like potentially maybe for one last time on screen like that. I mean, I don't know. That just holds a very special place in my heart, but not special enough that I'm willing to get rid of it. God damn it, Isaiah. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for episode 320 here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Lauren LaMagna, where can I find you on the internet? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango and at Letterbox at Lauren LaMagna. Amy Smith? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.